Welcome back to another special edition of Music Wednesdays. It's special for several reasons. First of all, for consecutive weeks, you don't have to look at me on camera. This recording, like last week's, are done more as podcasts. But because they are so special, I wanted to make them available and put them on our website. Last week, we interviewed Fred Cash and Sam Gooden of The Impressions. They are now retired and are about to be honored by the state, so the timing seemed right, and they were kind enough to come in and talk to me. This week's guest is Mitch Ryder. He is only the second white person to be inducted into the R&B Hall of Fame. He is the only living white person to have been inducted. The other inductee is a guy named Elvis Presley. Mitch performed on Friday night at UTC in Shattuck Hall, wasn't acoustic and it wasn't in the round, but it was probably only, I think he said, the second or third time he'd ever done a show like this. He used local performers, Johnny Smith on drums, Amanda Rose Cagle on piano, and backing singer Jason Lyles on guitar, and Michael Andrews on bass. The songs that he did, because of the room itself, which is such a wonderful acoustic space, he did some cover songs, he did one by Robbie Robertson, he did one by Randy Newman, he did a Prince cover, and he did versions of probably his three bigger hits, C.C. Ryder, Jenny Take a Ride, and of course, Devil with a Blue Dress On. And he did them, I think in each case, if I remember correctly, he did each of them the way they were originally presented to them. So they're a whole lot different than the monster hits that we are all familiar with. Bob Boyer at UTC and Michael Gray with River City Sessions, were very kind enough to allow me to use some of these recordings. I'm not going to play it in the entirety, but they did allow me to use some of the songs from that show, which was a lot of fun. And of course, in between, Mitch told a lot of stories. I also wanted to include for this podcast some of the stories that he and I have recorded together over the last couple of years since he moved to Chattanooga with his wife, Megan. She's from the North Georgia area. Uh, they reached out to uh, years ago and wanted to become part of the community. He played Riverbend, which is actually the second time since he did it a couple of decades ago, uh, but he did it two years ago as well. This first story is one from our interviews together, and to me it's like a lot of his stories are very representative of who he is because he knows everybody. He's met everybody. You know, Springsteen uses his music to close out his concerts. Winona Ryder chose the name Ryder. Because of Mitch Ryder, he was asked by Jimi Hendrix to be the lead singer in the band he was putting together. He was the last guy to perform with Otis Redding the day before he died. And it's an incredible history. He, you know, he's hung with the Beatles. He's hung with the Stones. It's an incredible history. And he told some of those stories on Friday. But this one is about touring with Junior Walker and the lessons in humility that he learned from one of the I'm doing a show, so I'm coming out. To, I was opening for Junior Walker. Junior Walker and the All Stars, Shotgun, one of the best saxophone solos ever created by man. And his timing for, for an old guy, he was just incredible timing. So his mouth was working overtime. Anyway, I'm opening for him. And this is back when I was unfortunately getting high and performing. And the good up thing, the upkeep that I get from drinking and drugs. It helped me to learn some lessons, and this one is one of those lessons. I come out to go on stage, and I looked in one of those shadows I was talking about, and there on a the chair sits Junior Walker. Now, at this point, he's old, and he's got a big old belly, 
He's got his T-shirt on. His pants are open, open at the belt, zippers down, and he's letting all his stomach flow out there so he can relax before he goes on. So I turned around and said to him, Junior, pay attention, because I'm going to teach you something. And that had to be probably one of the worst things I could have ever said to a veteran, skilled veteran who had been on the stage maybe 20 years longer than I had and been through so many different kinds of situations I had never been in. But I was bragging on it. That was the drugs talking. I go out and I just put every ounce of flesh I had into that performance because I like to be a man of my word when I can. And I come off, Junior's sitting there. He just looked at me and smiled. He said, yeah, yeah. He just said, yeah, yeah. And I thought he was like congratulating me on something or acknowledging my, my victory. It was more like a yeah, you wait and see thing. That's what I figured out later. Because when he went on stage, he got all dressed up and got his shit together. When he went on stage, he buried me. And I had done one of my best performances. He just buried me. Not only did he put a nail in the coffin, he put the inscription on the tombstone. <laughs> he did everything he could. I was so humiliated. Not about the audience. The audience was full of themselves. They got two great performances. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. In my book, I don't know what lesson I thought I was going to teach him. So he just, he buried me and I knew it. And that stung for years. Well, here, obviously, I'm still talking about it, right? <laughs> One of the things that I especially loved about the show on Friday, I went with family members. There were four of us in total. And when we left, we all had a favorite song from the evening. I thought that was kind of telling. Uh, the one I, I, I think I liked them all. I didn't disagree with the other, other three selections, but I really liked this version of Mitch's Purple Rain from Prince, of course. And he told a very funny story about meeting Prince, sort of, if you could call it that. But anyway, here's that story and here is Mitch's version of Purple Rain. I met this man in 1983, an artist named John Mellencamp, came up from Indiana, up to Michigan to talk to me. He said, Mitch Ryder, you have been a very, very important influence on my life. Would it be possible, could you please consider allowing me to produce a CD on you? I'm thinking to myself, it's 1983. My last hit record was in 1969. <laughs> Do I want this young multi-platinum artist who's hot as a pistol to produce my next CD? And I said, okay, John, let's do it. <laughs> so I went down to Seymour, Indiana which is very much just a lot of trees that never stop. And he uh, created a little studio down there for us to work in in Seymour. It was fun, uh, a little different for me. I wasn't used to, well, for me, it was like getting used to all the insects in Georgia. You know, <laughs> I never knew that many insects existed until I moved. I thought we had moved into a federal preservation for insects. <laughs> but live and learn, I got to keep the dog away from the geckos because they'll make him sick and he'll throw up. <laughs> That's basically my job is watching out for the family. I do lose my train of thought. So he produced this album on me and we chose a song by an artist uh, 
His song was called When You Were Mine. It was from an album called Dirty Minds. He was big and getting bigger and very fast. And so uh, he quite liked our version of his song. And so he invited me, and nobody would get to see this guy unless you knew somebody. But he personally, when he played at Cobo Hall in Detroit, he had heard my version uh, on the radio. It had charted, if you can believe that. Since 69 to 83, another chart record in 83? What the hell is that all about? <laughs> and I'm doing my first MTV thing, right? I didn't miss that boat either. <laughs> so there's proof positive. Um, he loved the version so much, he invited me to his concert at Cobo Hall. And when he performed this song, he did my version on the keyboard. And then invited me back to his dressing room. And this is where it gets really good. I, I, gotta, I can only describe it to you. This huge, must have been a bodyguard or something. It had to be, I mean, he's about 10 feet tall very muscular, and he says, Prince, Prince wants to see you. I said, okay, so I followed him down Cobo Hall, all these alleyways and corridors and stuff, to his dressing room. Now this is a huge, it's like a convention room, and he opens the door and just puts his hand that way, go on in. So the door is partially open, I push the door open and I look, and way down the other side of the room, not, not a stick of furniture anywhere, was a little mirror, a settee, whatever women call that thing where you put your makeup on, and it's all down there, way down there with a single light, and him sitting there way down there looking at himself in the mirror. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I didn't know, say, hey, Prince, it's Mitch, I'm here. <laughs> hey, Prince. And all the while I'm standing there, he can see me because I saw his eyes look at me in the mirror, and he just kept putting on his makeup, <laughs> putting on his makeup, and messing with his hair. And finally, I thought, geez, I was invited, but he's not recognizing me. This must mean I should leave, which I did. But I guess that's as close as you can get to Prince. And who would want to be closer these days? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> really. <laughs> so in honor of that beautiful artist who wrote so many beautiful things in uh, for some reason, was so insecure that he had to take his life with drugs. Happens a lot in my business, folks. I don't know what it is. I just don't know what all of us are afraid of, all of us entertainers. What are we afraid of? Why, why do we have to take our lives? What do we need to fill that void? We have loving audiences, adoring audiences, and, and, and that should be enough, but it's not. There's something going on in our psyche, something that makes entertainers entertainers, 
but it also makes them weak and insecure. I've seen dozens and dozens of examples of this in all the people I've met in my life. Here's a song by Prince that I love very much.
songs that Mitch chose to perform Friday at Shattuck were based on lyrics. He mentioned several times that he, he loves words, he loves lyrics, and he loves connecting with those. And he chose to do a song by one of the masters, Randy Newman. Randy gets, I don't know, he probably gets labeled as being a, a too sarcastic or I don't, I don't know. He's just a very, very clever songwriter and when he wants to, can uh, can just put it all together. And this was a great selection, and Mitch does a wonderful job with this song. There she is, sitting there, out behind the smokehouse, in a rocking chair. She don't do nothing. She don't say nothing, she don't feel nothing, she don't know nothing, maybe she's crazy, I don't know, maybe that's why I love her so. Her papa was a midget. Mama was a whore. Her granddad was a newsboy till he was 84. What a slimy old bastard he was. Man, don't you think I know she hates me? 
Man, don't you think I know she's no good? If she knew how, she'd be unfaithful to me. I think she'd kill me if she could. Maybe I'm crazy, I don't know. Maybe that's why I love her so. I'm afraid of the gray wolf Stalks through our forest at dawn Long as I have her beside me I have the strength to carry on Today we will be married And all the freaks from the village will be there And all the people she knows will be there too To congratulate us I will carry her across the threshold. I will make them the light. I will attempt to spend my love within her. And though I try as hard as I might, she will laugh at my mighty sword. She will laugh at my mighty sword. Why does everybody laugh at my mighty sword? Lord, help me if you will. Maybe she's crazy, I don't know. That's why I love her so. Just the visual on this thing. Her papa was a midget. Her mama was a whore. Her granddad was a newsboy till he was 84. What a slimy old bastard he was. I mean, you can't beat Randy Newman for sarcasm. It's just. And because I know it's what everybody wonders, everybody wants to know. This is Mitch's version, or this is the way that the band first heard. Devil with a blue dress on. And I want to point out it's not devil in a blue dress. It's devil with a blue dress on. That always seems to trip some people up, uh, myself included, until I found out what it truly is. But anyway, this was a terrific evening, and I hope that we get to do more of these type of shows for Music Wednesdays, and I hope certainly that Mitch Ryder does a lot more shows locally, and I hope you guys will go and check it out because it was truly a lot of fun. Uh, just when you start listening to the history and his life, and then you watch the man perform, he does still perform regularly. He goes over to Germany, Europe, twice a year and, and does sell-out shows. He recorded a Christmas album last year, so he's still very much working and still very entertaining. And if you get the chance, I highly recommend you go see Mitch Ryder in whatever version. Oh, and he was very quick to point out, and this was a big deal for him. This was the first show, I think he said in maybe forever, that he didn't wear sunglasses. He wore regular glasses. So <laughs> there you go. Thank you guys for checking this out. So we're sitting in Detroit. We're teenagers. And uh, Motown Records is getting to be the biggest thing in the world. They develop a label called Soul. 
They had Tamla. They had, uh, what else did they have, Tamla? They had Motown even at that point. Uh, but they developed a label called Soul. And on that label was a gentleman named Shorty Long. Shorty was writing songs. Maybe you remember um, Function at the Junction. Did anybody ever hear that one? No, no. We, we, heard, we, we barely heard it in Detroit. And, and the, the beauty of living in Detroit at that time was that when Motown would put out a record, they would test audience it on the Detroit population of kids. And if it passed muster with the Detroit kids, they'd put it out, okay? And so it, that's the way it worked. We got to hear things weeks before other people did. It was great. But Shorty put this song out called Devil with a Blue Dress on. It went absolutely nowhere. It was very hard, but, but you know, kids like us who were tuned in to the urban sound and at that point in my life, I was already, I had already been in and out of an acapella group, uh, a black group, where I was the only white singer. In fact, uh, I, I still find it humorous. We were playing, um, we were playing a, in a get together for black insurance agents. And this black lady came up to me and touched my face and she said, you sing so beautiful and you're so light. <laughs> just all, all these memories. <laughs> so we take, we take these songs and these memories with us to New York. And our producer says, do you guys know any hits? This is after we've had two hits, two or three hits already. Do you know any songs from Detroit that are not hits? And we said, well, yeah. We, we got this one by Shorty Long here called Devil with a Blue Dress on. Tonight, we're going to do it for you the way it was originally created. And then you can, in your mind, compare it to what it actually became. It actually became much faster, OK? We, none of us were beyond our teen years when we recorded this. In fact, our drummer was 14 years old. Wow. And so there was all of this energy and, and, and this passion that we put into this song. Turned out to be good. Turned out to be the biggest record I've ever had. I'm still proud of it. Uh, it's, it's the only gold record I have that I will not play. I played, I have uh, three in cases, and one day, I didn't know that the record company was being honest with me, so I took my gold record out of the case, and I put it on, and it had a diamond needle, and I played the record, and it just peeled that gold away. But it was a box tops record. Whoa. The same company, we were, both, we were both distributed by Bell, but I thought they would have the decency to put my own record <laughs> under the gold <laughs> coating. <laughs> Cheap Mother Detroit. <laughs> Cheap Mother Detroits, that's what they were. They did finally send me a correct one with many apologies, but uh, it was disturbing. <laughs> and what was more disturbing is that I actually played it. <laughs> Here it is, the original version of Devil with a Blue Dress. <laughs>